I love Christmas. I love decorating. I love giving and, of course, receiving gifts, uh, the traveling, the seeing family, and everything. And sadly, uh, I'm sure you're aware, our world has completely lost the meaning of Christmas, right? It's all about the gifts. It's about spending money and going into debt. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just become very secular. And so I think it's always good for us as believers to pause and to think about the meaning of Christmas. What are we celebrating? Well, of course, we have images of a baby in a, in a little feed trough in a stable surrounded by animals, uh, shepherds coming and visiting, wise men coming and visiting, and all these things. But as wonderful, maybe sentimental, as all of that imagery is, uh, we need to think deeply about the miracle that we are celebrating. And what I'm talking about is the miracle of the incarnation, the miracle of God becoming one of us, a man, (laughs) the eternal infinite God limiting himself to a human body. And that miracle is in order to accomplish another miracle. That miracle of the incarnation would then lead to the miracle of his atoning sacrifice and then ultimately to his resurrection and his return to heaven. So this is an absolutely crucial miracle that we are celebrating, that of the incarnation. And I wanted to go in the New Testament to one of the most famous passages about the incarnation. It's found in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. So let me read that for us. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 5, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many people have pointed out that, that this, in this passage, it's, it's sort of like a staircase that is descending from the heights of heaven all the way to the depths of hell. A staircase that Jesus willingly descends. And so let me explain that for you. Paul starts out in verse 6 talking about Jesus existing in the form of God, but he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. So let's, let's talk about that. He existed as God. John 1 makes this very clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. It's interesting how many New Testament books start out explaining 
the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God, the creator. And yet, Paul says, he did not regard that equality with God the Father as a thing to be grasped. Now, what that word actually means is to be held on to at all cost. Jesus didn't say, I'm equal with my Father, and therefore I'm going to remain that way. Um, But he was willing to let that go. And it, it speaks of him emptying himself. Now, we have to be very careful here. Some have misunderstood and and misinterpreted that. When Jesus emptied himself, it doesn't mean he emptied himself of any of his divine attributes. He did not cease to be equal with the Father. He did not become somehow less God. What that means is he did not change in his being as God, but he emptied himself of his privileges, of his rights as God. You see, this is a very strange emptying. It's an emptying by adding. He empties himself of, of his rights and privileges as God by adding this, a human body, and entering our existence. Imagine if I was uh, the crown prince of England. I would have a pretty amazing life, right? I would grow up in wealth and luxury and fame and importance. Uh, Everybody would exist to do my bidding. I would have everything I needed in terms of food and, and clothing and medical care and all the comforts of this world. I would live among royalty and have an extremely privileged life. Now imagine if I voluntarily left that, gave that up, and went to live in an orphanage in one of the poorest communities of my country. See, in a sense, that's what Jesus did, but it doesn't even come close in comparison. Jesus gave up all of the glory of heaven to come into our world destroyed, ruined by sin. Think of some of the rights he gave up. He gave up his right to the eternal happiness he had enjoyed with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. He gave up the right to live in a sinless environment. He is holy God. He shouldn't have to come into contact with sin and evil and wickedness. He gave up up his right to the worship of angels. I mean, he hears every day the seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy. And yet he was willing to empty himself of those rights and those privileges and then take that first step down the staircase. It says he came as a servant and became a man, took on our form. So again, in this Christmas season, think about that. Think about the eternal, infinite God, the God who dwells outside of time, the God who has all power, the God who spoke this whole universe into existence, and now he's in a body the body of a baby. And now this eternal, infinite God has to be nursed by his mother and have his dirty diapers changed. Now he's 
hungry. Now this eternal God begins to grow in age and size and, and, and mental ability as a human. He gets tired. He gets sick. This amazing God now leaves sinless heaven where no evil has ever entered and comes to our earth and now surrounded by sin. I mean, think of one of the very first things that happened in his infant life. Wicked King Herod sends his army to kill who knows how many babies uh, in the hopes of destroying the Messiah. My stepfather was a hog farmer, and so uh, after I served in the military and I came back to go to college, I worked on that farm. And in, our, in the lots where we fed the hogs, we had uh, these devices that would water the hogs, and sometimes the water line would get a leak. Well, then we had to dig it up, find the leak, and repair it. And I'm here to tell you there are far there are few things more disgusting than being in a hog lot in the mud covered with that mud and hog manure and rotten food for the hogs and trying to find that water leak and fix it and I could not wait to get out of there and shower and be clean again can you imagine what Jesus felt living in this existence, in our sinful life? And then he left the worship of angels for what? The mockery of men? And think about his death on the cross and even before that during his trials and, and how often, uh, even as he was teaching, the religious leaders would come and make fun of him, try to trap him or mock him. The crowds that used him uh, for their own physical needs and then walked away, had no interest in him. When the angels existed only to look on his beauty and his glory and to praise him. So, so these are the things he gave up. He emptied himself of to come and be one of us. And then he takes the next step down. Not only does he become one of us, that would be uh, the greatest sacrifice anyone could imagine, but no, he comes to die, Paul says. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he goes from the glory of heaven to our human existence and from that to death. But it's still lower because it's not only a death, it's death on a cross. It is an accursed death. Scripture said anyone hung on a tree is cursed. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in, a, in another place in the New Testament. says that Jesus came to rescue us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. So not only did he come to die as a man, but he came to die as the perfect man, is as our substitute, taking the wrath and the, the curse that we deserve for our sin that he might offer salvation to us. And because he did this, he was extremely pleasing to the Father. And so it says that the Father now exalts him. Verse 9, For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, his path of humiliation, then the Father makes it his path of exaltation. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us what happened in the Incarnation, but he doesn't fully explain why. So let's go to another passage in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. I want you to hear a further explanation of why the God, the Lord Jesus Christ, had to become man. Now again, Hebrews in chapter 1 emphasizes he is God in verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus Christ. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Think of that. Every molecule in the universe is held together by the power of Jesus Christ. If at any moment he ceased to will for those to exist, the universe would disintegrate. And when he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we see a similar progression as Philippians 2 The Son is equal with God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He comes to make purification for sin, his work of salvation, and then he sits down at the right hand of the Father on high, exaltation. We see it again in chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him, Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels. That's speaking of him becoming a man. And at least in his physical existence, being below the angels in their powers and abilities. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So there it is again. He becomes lower than the angels. He suffers death in his work of salvation, and then he is crowned with glory and honor. But listen to this in verse 14 of chapter 2. Here we get to the heart of why he became one of us. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, listen, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted." So the writer of Hebrews explains Jesus had to become man to defeat death and the devil as one of us. Now, how did he do that? 
Well, why do we die? We die as the penalty of sin, Romans 6, 23. The wages, the payment, the consequences of sin is death. The devil is given power over us because of our sin, because we rejected God and listened to his lies. And so Jesus came to deal with our sin, which makes us a slave to the devil, which makes us die. And not only our sin, but God's wrath. It's God's wrath who decreed that we, that decreed we would die for our sin. And so Jesus came, he says, to be both our priest and our sacrifice. A high priest to represent us to God. But he didn't just offer a lamb like the Old Testament priest. He offered himself as a sacrifice. And as a man, he could offer himself as our substitute. He could take our place. But as God, he was able to offer a holy sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice that would be accepted as payment for our sin. And he was able to offer a sacrifice that was infinitely sufficient. Only God could endure the wrath of God for millions who would follow him. So I hope that that helps us to think this Christmas season about his incarnation, about this miracle of God becoming man. Let me quickly uh, just mention some applications for us. Back in Philippians 2, when Paul speaks of Jesus humbling himself, do you know why he mentions that? He's calling the people in the church at Philippi to humble themselves. He says, do nothing from selfish or empty pride, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. So one application would be humility. During this Christmas season, let us remember the humility of Christ in becoming one of us. And don't exalt ourselves over others but rather humble ourselves, consider others more important, and serve them. And then also from Philippians 2, Paul speaks of every knee bowing before Jesus Christ and every tongue confessing. Now that is those who have believed in him and those who have not. Some will bow in worship, some will bow in judgment. And so I would plead with you to bow before Jesus now, in worship as your Lord and Savior, so that you do not have to be forced to bow before him in judgment. And then in Hebrews, notice, because of the miracle of the incarnation, because Jesus has become man, we can be free from the fear of death. Our whole world right now is caught up in the fear of COVID, right? But I can get on a plane and travel to the Middle East or to Asia because I don't fear death. Because Jesus has conquered it for me. And the reason he conquered death is because he took care of the condemnation that I was under for my sin that causes death. So I can rejoice that that he has taken the judgment, the curse for me. And I I can be delivered from that. And then he also says he came to free those who were slaves to the devil, to fear, to sin, And he's able to help those who are tempted. 
So we can rejoice because of the incarnation. We're free from slavery to sin. His death and his resurrection sets us free from that. I don't have to live a slave to pride or dishonesty or lust. But those things can be conquered in my life and in yours. And then finally, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Because Jesus has, is one of us now, is in a body, and lived on this earth, and he knows our sin and our pain and our struggles, we find a Lord who compassionately helps us. One who knows our struggles and cares and can give us just the help we need. So I pray that during this season, these thoughts will help you to love him more, to worship him, and to serve him. Amen.